Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. It's Tuesday, March 19th, which means we're talking consumer goods. But folks, I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of this thing for you right now and warn you that today's show, we're taking a little bit of a different tack. As you may or may not have heard, it is March Madness time. And if you've been listening to Monday's financial shows at all here over the past basketball season, or, or following me on Twitter, then you certainly understand that my Wofford Terriers are dancing this year as a seven seed. And my guy on the other side of the computer today, Asit Sharma, Asit, your Tar Heels are dancing, no surprise, as a one seed. Asit, how's everything going? Really well. Um, Jason, I'm infected with March Madness. <laughs> I went to the doctor this weekend. I said, what can we do about this? He said, you just got to wait it out. It, it'll take care of itself. <laughs> it's, it's a fun time of year, I tell you. It's, it, to me, it is, it's the most exciting sporting event of the year. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big golfer, but, but man, I mean, this one's just always a nail biter, it seems like. And, and to have our teams in there, obviously, the Tar Heels are always in there, it seems like. Wofford has done a good job in, in getting in there as the Southern Conference champions uh, a number of times, but, but this year was an exceptional year. They would have made it even if they didn't win the conference tournament. Uh, certainly, we'll talk about that. But hey, you know, before we get started, I said I also want to give some honorable mention here to Dylan Lewis and his Northeastern U Huskies because they are also in the tournament at a 13 seed. You know, I mean, we maybe should have gotten Dylan here in the studio today, but but regardless, yeah. we want to make sure and throw a little love out there for Northeastern as well. Congratulations, Huskies, and we're wishing you luck as well. For sure. They're going to be a dangerous 13 seed. Kudos to them. All right. Well, we want to get started today really uh, talking about the overall tournament seedings. We're going to talk, of course, where UNC fell, where Wofford fell here on the seeding chart. And, uh, you know, we figured that this was a good way to, to talk some basketball, but also to draw the connections between the NCAA tournament and investing. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different ways that, that investing plays into our everyday lives, and certainly in the consumer goods realm and, and, and sports. I mean, there are just so many different ways that sports uh, really, I think, you know, connects to our portfolios one way or another. I mean, and it's not just apparel, and we'll talk about all of that different kind of stuff. But first and foremost, we wanted just to get into these these seedings here, talk about our teams, talk a little bit about the season, what went well for them, why we feel like they may be dangerous teams in the tournament. And Asad, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you get started here. Talk talk to UNC because I mean, hey, listen, I've got some UNC connections as well. My dad graduated from UNC. My wife got her MBA from UNC. So I grew up watching UNC a lot in the house and, and, and certainly pull for them as well, except for when they play Wofford. But talk to us a little right. bit about UNC's season and, and what you think they've got going for them into this uh, into this tournament. Well, one of the, fir the first and foremost things we've got going for us is we actually beat Wofford this year. <laughs> um, you guys handed us a loss, and it turned out to be a harbinger of how good Wofford was going to be. We lost a home game. I still remember I dropped two of my younger sons off at the game. I had some work to do for the full that night. I didn't attend the game. I picked them up, and the whole everyone was pouring out of the Smith Center just in shock. Uh, so that was 
preliminary taste of the Wofford team we're going to talk about. What I like about UNC this year, I, I think they are always good. My connection, I also graduated from UNC um, and live very close, uh, so I'm over in town often. Uh, I think that their offense and defense are both really strong this year. They're both within the top 10 in the NCAA tournament. Team is anchored by three seniors who were all present for um, the championship game in which UNC won the national championship in 2017. So you have uh, a team that's anchored by very experienced seniors. And then you've got uh, a pretty good big man in Garrison Brooks. He's a sophomore, a phenomenal freshman in Kobe White, who will be a future NBA player. And you also have another really great um, future NBA player in Nasir Little, who comes off the bench. Uh, why I think this team will be dangerous is because even for a Carolina team, this particular group of guys plays extremely fast up and down the court. Carolina's fast break is the, their bread and butter, their staple play. They also have something called a secondary break. It's another very fast type of play. But I've noticed this is one of Roy Williams' fastest teams ever. They are faster off a made basket by the opposing team down the court then some teams are in transition off a turnover. That's how fast they are. And that actually covers up for a lot of deficiencies. Towards the second half of the season, Carolina has not shot the ball quite as well. Their uh, percentages have dropped off both in three-point shooting and two-point field goals as of late. But they're an excellent rebounding team, which also helps cover that. So between the speed that they have, the maturity the young guys, and being an excellent rebounding team, I think they can make a deep run in the tournament. But now let's hear about these Wofford Terriers, <laughs> who I must say 29-4 and four is their record so far. The only team in the country to go undefeated in conference. Uh, just an amazing team for those of you who have not seen um, them play. Let me flip it back to you, Jason, and tell us about this uh, formidable team. Yeah, I mean it's been it's been a uh, phenomenal year. I mean I think by any team's measure, when you when you go undefeated in your conference and then you run through that conference championship uh, and win that to top it all off, I mean that's something that is going to be special. These guys are going to remember for the rest of their of their lives. Um, I mean, you know, it's it's a team, I think, much like Carolina, steered uh, by some strong seniors there. You have Fletcher McGee, obviously the guy who, who can really shoot the three, and you've got Cam Jackson who can get in there uh, in in the paint and, and play, I think, really with anyone. And, and, I mean, you know, their four losses this year came against ranked teams, right? They Those four losses came against uh, Kansas, UNC, Oklahoma, and Mississippi State. So, so good teams all in their own right. And I think those are, are games where they kept them close. But more than anything, I think when you go and you play against teams that are on paper better than you, and, and I know I found this in golf growing up, is when you're out there playing against a field that is really good, it ups your game. It teaches you how to be able to play at that level. And you gain that confidence that you can play in that level. So hopefully we'll see that uh, play out for these guys in the tournament here, matching up against Seton Hall in the first round. And Seton Hall, obviously a very good team. Um, I, I think that you know when you when you look at Wofford, I mean the thing that makes it so special, really, in all honesty, is the fact that Wofford is a very small school. I mean it's about sixteen hundred students total. I mean it, it's just a tiny school, um, so you know it's difficult to field a really good team when you just don't have that many students. But but they've really done a good job through the years, and I, I attribute it to uh, not only school's culture, but but Mike Young, the coach there. He's been uh, head coach there for seventeen years now with the school, I think, for thirty. Um, 
you know, I was down there at the beginning of the basketball season, and I went to go talk with some students and professors there just about finance and, and the work we're doing here and whatnot. Um, and I was I was able to get a full tour of the new basketball facility that they have there that they just opened up, and and it really is just phenomenal. And you can see they're making big investments. There is not something that existed when I was there. I mean, I graduated in 1995, so uh, it's it's a much different school than it was when I was there. But really fun to watch this team make it work. And I think ultimately that's what they have here is they have a team in place where. It isn't really fully dependent on any one player. If there's one player having a bit of a tough time, uh, you know there are players that can go in there and, and make up for that. And I think we saw that in the conference championship against UNCG. Uh, Fletcher wasn't having his greatest game, but you got I think a junior there, Nathan Hoover, who really uh, picked up the slack there and, and helped them uh, come back when they weren't really playing their best. So uh, these guys are feisty. You know they're they're in it. Yeah. They're excited and and certainly the entire the entire Wofford student body, from what I've seen, is very excited. So this is a big deal for a tiny school. Yeah, Storm Murphy is just another name I wanted to throw out <laughs> yeah. that comes to mind. Yeah, you, you have some players who are. It's not just Fletcher McGee. I mean, he's he's going to be a legendary player. He already is uh, to some extent, but I think in this tournament, and perhaps on Thursday, he will set the record for the most uh, made NCAA three pointers in Division One. Um, so that that itself is incredible. But I just remember from playing you guys how balanced you are. I mean, you've got Five players, you know, your, your post players, you mentioned Cameron Jackson. He's 6'8", and he's just a beast. It's a great inside-outside game. So it, they're, they're an exciting team to watch, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the beauty of this tournament, right? Uh, just, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of, lot of exciting teams to watch. And, and I mean, hey, listen, you know, let's let's remember too. I mean, this isn't just the guys, right? We've got the NCAA women's tournament getting ready to start as well. That's right. So you've got a tremendous amount of high quality basketball, exciting basketball, uh, getting ready to start for audiences uh, everywhere. And, and I think that's just a, it's a really fun time of year. Now let's get into talking a little bit more about NCAA sports in general. Basketball in particular, though, I think is. Really Really big business, and I know football tends to get a lot of the spotlight, and maybe that's just due to the nature of the sport itself. But I, I mean, I, I feel like basketball gives a little bit more of a level playing field for a lot of teams out there. Which you know, that's probably why you see a team like a school like Wofford that, that can hang on the basketball court versus maybe not so maybe not so much on the football field. Um, but basketball really is big business, and I mean, we talk about the the major players in the space, the the obvious. Suspects there, Nike, Adidas, uh, even Under Armour. I mean, I saw something where Under Armour tweeted out they've got 17 squads representing in the men's tournament this year. They've got 12 squads representing in the women's tournament this year. Uh, but Asad, I mean, we've seen lately here as Under Armour has been in, in the process of a little bit of damage control, Nike and Adidas have, have really been kind of duking it out lately. And it seems like Nike might be gaining the upper hand there. Yeah, it, it seems like that. So Nike was once the undisputed leader of program partnerships and um, really evolved this whole mechanism where a major sports apparel company will team up with a school, uh, give the school athletic gear and cash and marketing support, um, and then get their product uh, placed within these schools, which is really great for their brand. But you know, we've seen in recent years, Adidas really try to take some of this share uh, from Nike and Under Armour get into the game as well. Uh, it's really interesting to me. I was doing a bit of research for this program. 
I'm surprised. It's estimated that these three companies jointly pour in about $300 million a year in college program contracts. Um, one of the ones that stands out is um, Under Armour's mega contract with UCLA, that which they inked in 2017. Yep. Now, this is a 16-year partnership. Each year, UCLA will get an annual cash allotment of $9 million bucks, and they will get product worth $3.76 million. You have to pause there and think, I mean, <laughs> how many sneakers does $4 million buy? <laughs> of course, it's going to all their teams. So I'm sure there's you know, new, new lacrosse um, jerseys, et cetera. So there's all types of departments that prosper in a big deal like this. Um, it's a $200 million deal over that lifespan. So Under Armour has sort of come in and pushed up or escalated the bidding process. Adidas, uh, as you mentioned, Jason, had really um, come out in front of Nike in the past few years on a couple of fronts. It uh, really stole some nice um, partnerships upon contract renewals, but also in financial terms, as Adidas decided to focus on the college market, that was simultaneous with really um, margin expansion for the company and revenue expansion. I looked this morning, Nike still has about $36 billion in annual revenue a year, Adidas now has $26 billion, so it's slowly catching up. The really interesting thing is, as Adidas has uh, decided to challenge Nike on you know, everything from shoes to uh, jersey apparel, their margins have improved. Uh, they used to range around 6%. This was three years ago. Their operating margin is what I'm referring to. Adidas's operating margin is now almost doubled to 11%. And in that same time frame, Nike, which used to have an operating margin of you know, 14 to 15%, has seen its operating margin decline to about 12%. The inferences in the marketplace is Adidas, with these new contract deals and uh, a lot of innovation on the sneaker front and other apparel fronts, is forcing Nike into some uh, bigger promotions and more discounts. But again, uh, just as it seemed that Adidas was going to take over, they've run into some problems. They had a recent uh, earnings report, which you shared with me, Jason, and uh, you know it looks like they're stumbling with some supply chain issues, which is going to knock a few hundred million dollars off of that uh, $26 billion top line in this current year. Uh, so it's an ever en never-ending battle between these companies. Every time you think one of them is, is getting this decisive edge, there's a stumble or a new contract deal, which is so important for both of their brands to extend out into the apparel universe. Um, what are your thoughts about this whole dynamic between Adidas, Under Armour, Nike? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, in our foolish universe here, certainly Nike is a popular holding. Under Armour has been a popular holding for a long time. Adidas has always been sort of that company that maybe didn't get as much of the limelight, but you know, you referred to the fact that they're making a considerable amount uh, in 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 regard to top line revenue annually as well. And I mean, you, you think about it, Adidas has been around for a long time. I mean, that's a brand I remember very well as a child growing up uh, many many <laughs> years ago. And so, I guess my point there between Nike and Adidas, it's important to remember that those companies have been around for a long time doing what they've been doing, whereas Under Armour is still, relatively speaking, the new kid on the block. And so, I think one of the things that with Under Armour, we've been very excited about the opportunity, the possibilities there, the potential. 
there was a little bit, I think, of a maybe it was an overreach on Kevin Plank's part, the founder and CEO mm-hmm. of Under Armour, where he, you know, he he's talked about wanting to supplant Nike as the world's number one brand. I mean, that's not a bad goal to have. But it's worth remembering how long it took Nike to get where they are today. And, and I think that that time spent doing what they're doing, that's a very important variable in the equation for Under Armour. So it's not to say they can't do it one day, but really it's going to take them some time to get there. Now, to their credit, it does seem like they've gotten the business right size. They've corrected some of the errors. But but yeah, this retail business, I mean, that the nature of it is very difficult in supply chain management, making sure you don't overload yourself with inventory that you then have to basically liquidate, uh, thereby affecting the margin, the profitability. It's a difficult, it's a difficult space to operate just on a consistent basis. But when you're looking at the brands that really are ruling the space there, I mean, those are three very big ones. And you know, we we recently were talking. I mean, I, I don't want to go too much into this, but with Zion Williamson's, you know, shoe malfunction, right? I mean, the big story there was how much is Nike going to feel uh, this impact on their stock price from that little? And we we all kind of looked at that and said, you know what? That's kind of silly. Let's not really, you know, <laughs> let's take a step back sure. here and recognize the fact that it's one isolated incident. It'd be different if that if that was happening to shoes all over the place. Uh, and then to be sure, if you see one or two shoes blow out here during the NCAA, then we probably will see a little bit more of an impact. But but again, I mean, those are are very temporary in nature for a company that still has done a lot of great stuff over a long period of time. Yeah, and we'll chat in in a bit about the impact that Zion Williamson. For those of you who don't know, uh, the incredible two hundred eighty five pound. Uh, player for Duke University who will almost certainly go pro next year, um, who's having a phenomenal year. Uh, we'll talk about his impact maybe on a smaller company than Nike in just a bit here. But I, I wanted to second you on Under Armour. I think their uh, focus last year on getting back to basics and Kevin Plank's ability to sort of hand over uh, you know, the the mechanics of operating this company to his operations people is paying off. And I think that was wise of him to uh, back off and focus on innovation and let the company, the operational people, really uh, sort of get back to brass tacks. It's certainly paying off in, in terms of their stock has recovered. It's still down uh, you know, over, I think, three to five year period. But I know over the past 12 months, shareholders have seen some appreciation. So um, that's pretty good for uh, for them. One thing we should mention before moving on about Adidas uh, is this ongoing uh, scandal in college basketball, which was a big story in 2017-2018. Um, loyal Motley Fool industry-focused consumer goods edition listeners will remember that we had a whole show on this Adidas scandal. Um, we talked about the executive James Gatto, who was arrested, the Adidas exe- executive, um, for you know, charges of bribery and fraud, basically steering money to players in order to get them to go to schools that had deals with Adidas. Um, we should just mention here in passing, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, this scandal is, is yet to be resolved. And only a couple of weeks ago, Louisiana's basketball coach, Will Wade, was suspended um, after some reports that he may be implicated in this uh, in this whole ball of wax. And uh, that's amazing because Louisiana is having a great year. They're in the tournament. Um, and uh, it, it just goes to show that the competition for these school endorsements is intense for a reason. And it, it leads to unethical behavior 
uh, in my opinion, for a reason, because the ultimate impact on the bottom line of companies like Nike and Adidas, it, it's hard to measure. It's really easy you know, to measure, and me throw out a figure like $300 million that these three companies will spend annually, but the the reverse impact, what Nike gets out of kids wearing its um, products after they see a you know marquee player on a basketball team, uh, that kind of effect is hard to measure, but contributes to their top line growth margins um, and, and the rest. Indeed, indeed. Um, okay, Alison, let's talk a little bit about the influence of NCAA basketball beyond the peril. I think that anybody can connect those dots and say Under Armour, Nike, Adidas, those are sort of the we're going to see those brands every game, right? You know, they're, they're just front and center. But but let's talk a little bit about some of those brands that maybe we don't see so front and center, but but that certainly uh, come into play when it comes to big events like these. Absolutely. So, a company to look at is Madison Square Garden, which is one of the few companies that's publicly traded uh, that owns a professional basketball team, that being the New York Knicks. And this is connected, as I, as I hinted a little while ago, to Zion Williamson. So Zion Williamson will go pro next year. And for those of you who aren't familiar with how this whole process works of uh, jumping from college to the NBA, there's something called the NBA draft in which players are selected uh, to play on different teams through sort of a lottery system. How you get uh points in the lottery system or how the different teams get preference in the uh, players they can take uh, depends on how you play during the season. If you play really badly, the league is very good to you and it says, you know, you had a bad season, you're due for a good player, so we're going to give you a probability in the lottery that you'll get a top draft pick. Zion Williamson is going to be hands down the number one pick. He's a once in a generation player. Hard to think of another player coming out of college who's had uh, such um, a hype behind him, not just for what he brings to the court, and he he delivers on court, but he's a charismatic kid, um, and there's a lot of potential for uh, huge endorsements and for him to spread his own brand in the NBA. So three teams um, that are at, sit at the bottom of the league. I'm going to read these stats out and hand this back over to you, Jason. <laughs> but the Knicks the Phoenix Suns and the Cleveland Cavaliers each have a 14% probability of getting the first round pick, first draft pick in the NBA lottery this year because they're playing so badly. They've been so woeful this season. And this is a phenomenon that is hard to prove, but some suspect it's called tanking where you're losing (laughs) games on purpose to get that draft pick. What are your thoughts on that, Jason? Well, I mean, that is something you hear a lot about in the NBA and the NFL. I get it. I mean, if you've kind of, if you've hit that midpoint of the season and you realize you suck more or less and you just want to get through it and have something to show for it. I mean, I, I guess it's hard to prove, uh, but by the same token, you can see maybe that uh, coaches try different things, play players a little bit more who wouldn't normally garner so much playing time. So uh, maybe it's uh, unintentional tanking, whatever you want to call it. I do get it. You want to try to get the the best players you can, and, and it is a business. Um, I, t- I mean, I, I you know, whenever I think of going beyond the the usual suspects in in regard to basketball and making that leap from NCAA to the NBA, because it really is. I mean. NCAA, you have that one and done. You essentially have to go play one year in the NCAA, then you can get in the draft. Um, I like now, though, that in the NBA, you see these teams that have, um, they're able to have patch sponsors, jersey sponsors. And you didn't see that for for quite some time. But now you actually see teams in the NBA with 
companies that are actually sponsoring the teams and they wear those companies' patches on their jersey. And so, like a couple of that stand out to me, I mean, you look at, I think the Milwaukee Bucks uh, are sponsored by Harley Davidson. So that's pretty right, cool. Right. Uh, you've got the Orlando Magic, Shocker, they're, they're sponsored by Disney. So that's pretty neat. I mean, on the flip side here, though, and, and I mean, like I say this as a Boston sports fan, the Celtics being sponsored by GE, I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> but, you know, either <laughs> you, you way. You want to associate yourself with the, with the winner. No, <laughs> Been a poorly managed company, so it's, and it's you know it's not it's not all you know just just there there are reasons for for those problems. But yeah, I just think that's neat to see how they've made that leap into the NBA. Uh, just another way to to draw a connection between the sports and those names that we cover here and the work that we do uh, every, every day. So so to me, that's uh, just another fun way to look at it. Yeah. Uh, just a quick last point for me. Uh, if you look at this aggregate effect um, on Madison Square Garden, what a player like Zion Williamson can mean in terms of greater attendance, concession sales, um, sales of team merchandise, as you're talking about, uh, that ultimately gets reflected in the stock price. And I was looking at sure. the chart of MSG. It's sort of a sleepy stock. It's, you know, it's done okay over the past couple of years, but I noticed they're up 10% year to date. And I wonder if, if that has something to do with the Knicks <laughs> fortunes on the court. So distinctly again, possible. Things, you can't prove, but but there's some correlation there. Well, it's a, it's a very interesting story. And we'll leave it at this, but very interesting story between Zion and his connection to Wofford College. And for those of you who don't know it, I'll just tell you, Google Zion and Wofford College, and that will take you immediately to the story there. Or once upon a time, I mean, it wouldn't have been such a crazy thing to think that Zion actually might have ended up at Wofford College, but it just wasn't meant to be. But before we continue, I want to say thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Industry Focus. You know, making that perfect hire can set your team up for success in the new year, but where do you find that person? That's why when it comes to posting your job, you want to go where you have access to an engaged community that people visit every day. I'm talking about LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking job boards regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. It's no wonder a new hire is made every 8 seconds using LinkedIn. That's amazing, 8 seconds. Find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com fool and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash fool terms and conditions apply okay Asit, we wanted to get into another uh part of the show here talk a little bit about the principles of investing from the perspective of the coaches with our programs wofford and, and unc uh look at the coaches what they've done with their programs and see if we can't draw some parallels there in the investing world and i'll let you kick this off roy williams i mean obviously he's had tremendous success there uh, following up a legacy, really, in Dean Smith and what he's done with the program through the years, and, and Roy has has just done a tremendous job as well. What, why is that? In, in what parallels uh, can we draw to the investing world? For me, uh, two things really stand out. One is an ability to tinker around, and the other is a focus on continuous improvement. 
So for those of you who are not as familiar with uh, North Carolina, Roy Williams was an assistant coach under the legendary Dean Smith. Uh, he left to go to Kansas and built a really great program there um, and was persuaded to come back to North Carolina after Dean Smith had retired. We went through a couple of uh, coaches. He took over the program in 2003. Now, in that time span, uh, UNC has won three national titles. That's the most of uh, by far of any team in that time span, except Villanova, who's won two titles. Um, UNC is winning national titles at a clip of almost one out of every five titles since Roy Williams came back to Chapel Hill. But if you're a fan, you would realize, if you're close into this, that the win-loss records every year don't really reflect all of this um, achievement. They're not as great as you might expect. And that's because there's a clearly identifiable phenomenon at the beginning of the season Roy Williams loves to tinker with his uh, team lineups. He'll try out a bunch of different configurations, and it leads to so much consternation among the fan base because we have more losses at the beginning of the season than you know we think we should with, with the talent um, and the system that he employs. So Roy Williams is not afraid to experiment, and he's not afraid to lose. That's really hard for most coaches. I think the biggest stumbling block is being able to go into a game not making the win the most important thing. For Roy Williams, the learning experience is the most important thing early on in the season. What can I assess about my team's potential? What might work and what might not? Now, as the seasons go along, Carolina is is a very reliable team in terms of peaking at the end of the season. They seem to get better and better from the you know, midway point on through the tournament. And I think that's partially because of this ability to take a loss and figure out what works and what doesn't. The, the study, the retrospective look at um, configurations, but also the principle of continuous improvement. Now, I know we've got some engineers, some business consultants, uh, some people who've been through MBA programs who listen to this program, and you are familiar with the Japanese concept of Kaizen, continuous improvement. And it's a it's a term that gets bandied about a lot. And many teams in basketball talk about this. We're going to improve every game. But I, I don't know that they all apply it so seriously as this coach does. When the players uh, attend their practices at the Smith Center, that's the, the team's big, uh, uh, both game venue and practice venue, they run through these giant curtains every practice. And it's sort of a metaphor that once a player runs through the, the curtains in the tunnels of the Smith Center that lead to the practice court, they can't run back through without having improved that day on the practice floor. If they have, there's something wrong. So the whole team has this mentality that not just from game to game, but from moment to moment on the practice floor, you should be improving. And I think that's a really great principle. Now, how I'd apply that, both of these uh, principles to investing is, hey, don't be afraid to lose early and often. Yes, your money is at stake when you invest, <laughs> but you got to learn. You can paper trade is one way. Um, I play Motley Fool Caps. I've learned a lot about investing just by playing that game. There's not you know, much stakes except that you know someone like Jason might look at my score and see <laughs> last year it was at 33 was my cap score. <laughs> but you know, t- it, today I think it's somewhere in the, the high 70s. Um, so you can improve if you're willing to take risks and learn from that. Each investment that you make should be better than the last. And what I mean by that, I don't mean that you should magically have an investment that's just a better company. It means you, the investor, should improve your ability. Maybe you spent more time researching this investment versus the last one. Maybe you post-mortem the last investment more than you did 
the time before that. So the more you can educate yourself, learn principles of investing, figure out what went right, what went wrong. Every time you invest, you should be able to say to yourself, I'm better at it this time than the last time I put my money and committed it. Um, so to sum up, tinker around. Don't be afraid to do that in order to learn. Losses are part of the game. And second, think continuous improvement, but not just as some abstract principle. Really try to improve every time you commit your capital. Um, Jason, now, Wofford, and their phenomenal coach, Mike Young. Yeah, I mean, probably a little bit lesser known to the masses out there, but certainly he's. this is not his first rodeo, as they would say. I mean, he's. Uh, this is his fifth tournament appearance in the NCAA, uh, fifth uh, tournament championship in the Southern Conference. I mean, he's been at Wofford for, I think, a total of 30 years, head coach for 17. Uh, nice little resume going there. This year, just won the Sporting News uh, Coach of the Year. He's in the Naismith Coach of the Year semifinalist. Uh, so so he's clearly had a very good year. He's been there for a while. I thought you're researching him a little bit, learning more about his philosophy and his approach. It, it really boils down to just a few simple ideals. He values community. He values being a part of a tight-knit community there. He values wins over dollars. And, and when I heard that, when I read that, he values wins over dollars. You know, let's let's look at this and think about it for the for this for what it is. I mean, given his track record, he's had the opportunity to bail on Wofford before and go make more money somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's just not done that. And, and to be sure, I mean, he's not really one of the higher paid coaches out there by virtue of where he works. They just don't have that kind of money to throw at coaches regardless of you know the records and what they've done and how long they've been there. So so clearly he he's walking walking the walk and talking the talk so to speak. I mean he he does value community over over you know just kind of moving around and finding the best situation for uh, you know the most dollars. And and it does seem like uh he he stands up to what he says there and and I, and I think when I look at that and I take that to the investing world you know how many times do we see companies make decisions? How many times do we see management teams make decisions to chase the almighty dollar? Right, make those short-term focused decisions to meet or beat expectations, or change the financial picture a little bit, boost that earnings per share number to meet Wall Street's uh, expectations there, and keep the stock you know going for another quarter or whatever. You know we don't invest that way here. We take a longer-term approach. We look at these management teams and the businesses that they're building. And we look for that language in those conference calls when they talk about making decisions with years in mind as opposed to quarters. And in you know, Mike Young just strikes me that that seems to be why he's been so successful uh, over the years at Wofford. And he's been there for a long time. He's focused on being a part of a family, a tight-knit community. And, and really, yeah, he values wins over dollars. Because if it was the other way around, he wouldn't be there. And I think that's a very powerful message. And when you can communicate that to your players year in and year out, and he's at a school where players tend to stay for four years, uh, you know, you, you can build some really great teams around that that type of mentality and it seems to be working for him uh and, and so you know as as a as a Wofford uh, graduate and I say thanks coach young and keep up the great work and uh, I can't I get got to tell you as an investor I'm not surprised that's working out for him because when we apply that same philosophy to the businesses that we follow here at the fool we tend to see some pretty good investing results too Okay, Asa, let's go to one more point here before we wrap this show up. We're running out of time, but we want to talk about a couple of stocks that we're taking away from all of this 
Two stocks that we're watching. This can be related really to anything we've talked about up to this point here. Uh, it can be talk. We we can relate this to the to the principles. We can relate it to the market. But you know, we we want to give some people uh, you know some some stock ideas to take away from from this show. And, uh, and I feel like we've touched on a lot. Uh, let's go for one more. What is the stock that you're watching as we get this NCAA tournament kicked off? So I am watching Canada Goose. Um, Long-time listeners may have heard me talk about the stock once or twice before, and I'm going to relate it to the principle that I just talked about, continuous improvement. Uh, I really like what Jason was um, showing us, that the values that you have, what you're committed to as a you know, management team, results in profitable returns, which you know that inflates stock price over time and helps you as, as investors. You can really invest your values by investing in a management team that you're confident in and that aligns with the way you see the world, longer-term focus, focusing on the right things. Um, I really like Canada Goose's management team. It's basically a family-run business that went public a few years ago. Um, if you don't know, they make the really high-end parkas that some of them sell for you know upwards of 1000 1500 bucks. Yeah. But what's very interesting about this company is that they're obsessive about manufacturing quality products. And usually when we see an apparel company go public, it's fairly predictable. Over a few years, they'll start to scale into uh, multiple geographies and they'll begin to outsource their production, uh, chasing that almighty dollar, as Jason so eloquently said. But Canada Goose is really focused on manufacturing. A lot of their product is, you know, is, is made by hand. So they want to have a quality product, keep improving the quality of that product to live up to that Canadian outdoor ethos you know, where it could be sub-zero temperatures and you bought one of their parkas. Uh, it's not just a fashion statement. You know, it's a real piece that will protect you out in the cold. So they have continually invested in local manufacturing. They now have um, eight separate facilities within Canada where they manufacture their goods. Um, they just opened their eighth uh, facility, and this is in Montreal. It's 115,000 square feet. It's going to employ 650 people by the end of 2020. Uh, they just opened one in Quebec, very similar to this in 2017, which now employs 500 people. So just to wrap it up, uh, you can go check out their financials, rapidly growing um, income because of margins. Uh, since people pay for this quality product, uh, they'll pay top dollar for it. But again, something that's anchored in quality sort of reminds me of Nike's evolution. Nike built a um, Nike built a global supply chain, a little bit different because they outsource most of what they produce, but with the same obsessive bent. And if you've read um, Phil Knight's memoir, you'll you'll see this colorful story about how obsessed he was with the manufacturing of his product. I see something similar going on here, except manufactured in-house. And this will be a long-term competitive advantage for Canada Goose, despite the fact that its multiples a, a little bit inflated over the long term. This is a winner, you know, almost purely for for this reason, because they care about their product and it's going to be around um, you know for decades to come, in, in my opinion. All right, Canada Goose, I like it. You know, I was thinking about Coach Young's focus on community, and that word community immediately brought one company to mind. I went to their 10K. I did a quick search, and the word community is mentioned in their 10K 45 times. I'm talking about Etsy. No, this isn't really anything related to the NCAA <laughs> tournament, but I think a lot of people out there do know what Etsy is. Uh, it is that 
arts and crafts network of supplier of buyers and sellers, uh, you know, folks going out there and being able to offer up their handmade goods to sell uh, to people around the world, really. Uh, but it has over time built out a community uh, with that brand. There, Etsy is known as that place to go for that type of stuff. And I'll tell you, the business has really just uh, just continued to perform. I mean, when you look at all the metrics that matter, the buyers continue to go up, the sellers continue to go up, the dollars that are going through the network continue to go up. It's a beautiful business model in that it really is just a network at the end of the day. So, they're not carrying any inventory. It's, it's really all about just building this network and connecting buyers and sellers. So, it's a profitable business. It's a cash flow positive business. Smart leadership. The stock has really done well. And I have no reason uh, to believe it won't continue to do well. And you know what? I like their focus on community, too. So, I'm going with Etsy, Asset. Yeah, that, that, that'll go far in the, the tournament of investing. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, Asit, listen, hey, good luck to your Tar Heels this, uh, this coming few weeks here. I'm sure they'll have a great showing. Uh, good luck to Wofford. Hey, guys, wishing you all the best out there. Looking forward to that game Thursday night against Seton Hall. Uh, and hey, you know we'll pick this back up and we'll talk about it once, it all, once it's all concluded. And uh, we'll, we'll maybe have a couple of takeaways from it all then, too, right? Look, looking forward to it, and uh, there is one path we might meet in the tournament uh, next week if we both keep winning. Well, <laughs> so we'll have definitely some more to talk about then. <laughs> one game but we got to win time. these first games. That's right. Yeah, that's right. One step at a time. Okay, as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Today's show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Asit Sharma, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.